Buy Central. Unbiased analysis. Huh? Welcome along to episode eight of LOI Central. We are a quarter of the campaign in, in the Premier Division, and we had two rounds of games to get through, including um, interviews with three of the protagonists, including two of the managers, himself and Dan. Uh, with futureticketing.ie, we also will have Kevin McHugh and Andy Myler, uh, separate guests later on in the show. We'll be reflecting uh, on the very, very sad death of Alan Keeley and also Alan McLaughlin, um, who obviously we'll all remember from Windsor Park and so forth. But a lot of us remember Alan Keeley from his days throughout the League of Ireland clubs. Tragic death at the age of 38. Um, which is the, the age of Dan and I, so it's, we can certainly feel how utterly tragic it is to be uh, dying in your late 30s and a guy who uh, brought so much to the league and a really, really nice bloke as well. Um, we're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud. We will have our four-star pizza giveaway later on in the show. We have an awful lot to get through today, Dan. I guess uh, we will talk to Kevin because he would have played with um, Alan Keeley, obviously, later on in the show. But um, this this was just unbelievable news, really, and really felt around the league. You could tell that from all this, the tweets from various clubs who had who never even had Alan playing for them and so forth, that it definitely struck a chord around the league. No, like, very sad couple of days, you know, with Alan McLaughlin. Like, for so many people, it's, you know, it's, it's almost like a part of your childhood and, and that sort of immortal uh, Jack Charlton side. And then Alan Keeley, yeah, I mean... Um, I would have been in this company a couple of times, but I would be exaggerating it to say that I, I knew him. Obviously, would know Dermot quite well, and and you know it's it's just you know reading through the tributes from all the various teammates and and like he he accumulated a lot of clubs along the way. So as a result, you know the league can be very transient sometimes, as we know. But he you know he seemed to sort of make um you know make a lot of connections and, and make an impact on on people along the way and. Mm. Yeah, he, he had been living in Dundalk in recent times and certainly I see even there locally sort of tributes from um, you know various sort of clubs and, and, and people he would have been involved with there and his two kids who were um, you know involved in sports clubs there too so um, yeah it's just so so desperately sad and, and the deepest sympathies to his to his family and, and, and his friends and anyone who, who knew him and um, yeah I mean it's 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 obviously it's all it's always sort of um, feels quite sort of uh, I don't know it's almost a bit trite like just to give tributes and then we move on to the show but it's obviously very much like very much in our thoughts and, and uh, you know, as I said um, he'll, he, uh, he's, he's left a legacy like we've had I suppose even you know probably in the off season with Robbie Brunton passing away and, and mm. you know probably would never have mentioned that on the show here as well um, and it's, it's, it's always striking you know when it's it's as you said, maybe it's just a reflection of our own age now as well, when it's people that are around your age and, and you know, very, very young men um, taken long before their time. So, um, yeah, we're, we're really sorry to hear that. But, um, yeah, I mean, I suppose it, around all of that, I suppose we've had like a, a busy week of, of, of football. You know, it's always the, it's the, it's the, it's the great distraction sometimes for people from everything that's going on and then, um, so probably been a, you know a sort of an interesting interesting round of games uh, two rounds of games as you said like it's it's sort of taking shape all right at the top of the table isn't it like it's um I mean Rovers have sort of got through the whole series of games and we're going to hear from you chat Stephen Bradley dropping what four points um and and Pats have been pretty strong and even their late goal in, in Sligo um on on Monday really just. It, Gives an extra edge to that Pats Rovers game on, on Saturday. The fact that Pats could technically overtake them, um, and we should mention, of course, that you know, in all that's gone on, I mean, Rovers have broken and broken 
an all-time league record for unbeaten games going back to 1927, which was also across three seasons. Um, so it's sort of funny, you know, history repeating in a strange way that they have an unbeaten record spanning three different seasons because the league always used to be 18 games back in the, uh, you know, all the way through the 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s and 60s. Pat Hooban would be horrified by it all. Um, mm. But it was, it, you know, it is a, a very noteworthy record. And I suppose... In a way, if you think about it, like, you know, they say the league table never lies. Uh, and as much as, like, you know, Bowes really pushed Rovers and Dundalk did push them in Tala, the two games where they dropped points are against the two teams that are directly below them in the table, um, St. Pat's and Sligo Rovers. And in both of those games, they fell behind inside the last 10 minutes. So it was even against Pat's, it was, you know, like three, four minutes. And in both of those games, they came back to, to not lose the game. And I think that more than anything probably says you everything you need to know about their unbeaten record. You know, that's that's why they have it. I think this season, like I suppose when Rovers started that unbeaten record, it would have been a bit of oh, flaky Rovers, you know, look at them, you know, they're losing the games that matters. Like the, the last game they lost was the game against Dundalk. And that would have been a season where they lost loads of games against Bowes, you know. And the, 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 the lifespan of the record is the lifespan of their conversion from nearly men who lose important games uh, but look good occasionally, you know, against lesser teams to now being a team that just, you know, that, that, that doesn't lose, you know, mm. and that's obviously, that's obviously been their evolution. Yeah, I we were at I was at a couple of games and you were uh, busy as well. Were you at a game Friday night? I know you're at the long. No, I wasn't. I was uh, I wasn't at a game on Friday, but I was. Yeah. Um, I mean, I was, with the was, with the streaming uh, on on Monday, I ended up watching effectively three games, which was like a little bit mad. I don't know if I've ever done that in a day before. I basically ended up give or take watching three games and, and was also kind of watching because it was in Tala for the Waterford game I was kind of half watching the Bows draw the game anyway because they get they're, obviously the match was over after like 20 minutes or whatever in Tala but the goals Dan like Chris Forrester's goal granted you can say okay Longford got to defend the corner better the technique and that kind of revolving camera that showed it from the, behind the goal for one of them sounded then, the ball hitting the net the sound yeah. of the ball hitting the net I don't know how you it was almost like one of those uh computer games you play as a kid but it was yeah. almost like the ball hitting the net would be like oh yeah like I mean it's a it's a really satisfying sound I, I couldn't do an impression of it but it's just like it's it's just a, it's just the ball fizzing it's into beautiful. the goal and it's just it's just like it's perfection and it's like technique and at, so at the, at the game then in Tala, I, I said to Neil O'Reardon beside me, it was terrible conditions, by the way, and I apologise slightly in advance for the little bit of wind interference with the Bradley interview, but the wind was that bad that I even covered the mic and it still was a little bit of interference. It was a good interview, though, and a couple of key aspects of the game. But I said to Neil O'Reardon, did you see the goal uh, Bows are after getting there? And I, I've watched a lot of Bows lately, and I actually think they're a very good side. And like there's so much to them that is positive, but they've dropped loads of points. But anyway... So I said to Neil, did you see the goal? He goes, yeah, yeah, it's a lovely goal. Didn't realise it's had like 500,000 views nearly on Twitter, you were telling me. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's, it's gone. It went a bit global, all right. A couple of the uh, sort of um, these sort of Twitter sites that have massive fan bases picked up on it. And it's like, you know, amazing goal in the League of Ireland. And, and like, you know, it's all of a sudden you get loads of comments from people around the world beneath it. Like, great goal. Who's number 28? That's a farmer's league and whatnot. Mm. And then you realise... Then you realise that if you start scrolling below the line on on uh, Twitter virals, you will lose the will to live. Um, so don't do that. 
But the, in, the terms actual, of, in, in terms of in, in actuality, the goal itself was was terrific. And Dawson, what, what about role. the weight? What about the weight of the Devoy pass? Because I, I don't know. It's it's like as if the ball kind of holds itself up before it hits the ground, so it just stops that the goalie doesn't get there first. Everything about that goal it, is so good. It's the backspin. It's almost like you ever played tennis against a, a prick, basically, who would like spin the ball over the Somebody net. Who can play tennis? The, well, that that's that would be the that 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 would be the popular name for him. Many, many years ago, I uh, I fancied myself as a as a crack tennis player in the in the town of RD, um, and I like you know sort of big you know reasonably good you know and so be, on be, be, yeah. be, beat the players in the locality and you know took took an ocean and and entered like some the, the Loud Open. I mean, Loud's a small county. Like, I wasn't exactly, <laughs> you know, I wasn't exactly going to, like, uh, the NFL draft here or something. But, uh, yeah, and then I lost 6 love, 6 one to some lad on a clay court in the dock who, like, just was just spinning the ball everywhere. So, anyway, the Dawson Devoy one was just, like, he pays that perfect weight. So, to keep it, oh, yeah, oh, it's coming. But it yeah. just checks back absolutely perfectly for um for, for Bert. And, like, the, the thing is, it's something like the Forrester one as well. Like these really good tactical players who clearly have done a lot of practice on their technique. And as a result, they've done a practice on their technique that they know how to work the ball. Now, I don't know if the old balls of the 60s and 70s, the rock hard ones, you could manipulate them in the way you can some of the balls today in terms of the sort of the flight and stuff. But these lads have got it, have got it mastered. And um, yeah, it was, um, it was, it was good. And then, but, but as you said, Bows still didn't win. And um, in fairness, I saw Tim Clancy talking about it. They felt they actually got away with one. Drawed have conceded some late goals lately, whereas this time they almost, um, they nicked a point this time, which is probably probably as satisfying as, as playing well. No, more satisfying, I'm sure, than playing well and losing, which, they, mm. which they've done uh, on a couple of occasions in recent times. So they were probably the standout moments of the week. We'll, we'll talk to Kevin McHugh in a while. Obviously, the, um, this, the symbolism of Finn Harps winning in, in Brandywell um, there's a great, there's a great bit, and that is, I don't know if you've seen this. Yeah, so Adam Foley's goal. And the like, father Ted. I mean, how how we? How, well, what's the father Ted aspect? The father Ted is like, remember that episode where they they're like, if there's only thing, if there's only something we could bargain with with uh, Len Brennan. So then they're shown like the video of basically Adam Foley's goal, and and Ted's like, that was wonderful stuff. Shall we watch it again? And then they show Foley, and then he goes up <laughs> with his hands cupped. Uh, thanks to uh, Mr. Uh, T, who sent me this several times actually. Uh, after I, didn't, I haven't won seen the this pizza last week. Trevor Gordon won the four star pizza um, oh, and wanted it for Monday. We couldn't get it to him on Monday, but he certainly enjoyed the win at the Brandywell. Though I, I don't think it's quite the same. There were no dairy fans there apart from the ones behind the goal, which Adam. But Johnny, you're that. interrupting my story. You're interrupting my story. I wasn't referring to your Mr. T video or whatever it was, right? I mean, that sounds like actually Mr. T himself. <laughs> <laughs> so for some reason, not involved. Maybe he should. But but no, I was referring to the fact that that Foley was um was like goading the fans. But I'm not sure if people have seen this in the clip. But um there was a young lad on the bench who got very involved in the uh, the celebrations afterwards. And his name is Joel Bradley Walsh. He's the only he's the only playing member of the panel from Bally Buffet because uh, Jonathan Levy didn't play just the second game in four days. And uh, apparently a Harps fan all of his life. And he got the chance <laughs> to be involved in this moment. So you see Adam Foley given it large or whatever. And like, but then you see, I was wondering, like, who is this sub who just gets involved, joins the celebration, and then just breaks off to stare off and just, you know, have a look at the, the dairy lads on the wall as if to say, yeah, you know, come and have a go if you're hard enough. But obviously, 
mean, I don't think we should be encouraging that. I'm not sure if you actively <laughs> encouraging that, but he was sort of saying, "Yeah, I'm here, and you know, we we we're winning, and like I'm a Harps fan, and I'm enjoying this, and like there's just something great, authentic about it that like." Listen, as we talk about in this league all the time, we'll talk about with Andy Myler. It's a transient league. Players move from club to club. But to have a Harps fan, a genuine Harps fan, you know, involved in that moment and really feeling it. Um, and that's only great would have been able to go over just instead of like running around. By the way, that was a fantastic goal by Harps. I was watching that at the time and I was like, the Seymour's play and then Barry McNamee's pass. Harps, to my mind, kind of they deserved at least a draw. But Foley would have been able to go right over to that corner with a load of Harps fans uh, on a bank holiday Monday, having the time of their lives. The place would have gone nuts. It would have, but instead he just goaded around fifty lads and Derry on a wall, and then and then, and then a young lad came off the bench and was like, Wah! "Come on, come on!" But don't, but don't actually maybe. But like you know, but, but, like yeah. I, I watched uh, I watched Derry against Bowles. It would have been better so if he, good, but then they were outplayed by Harps, and it's like this league is mad. It would have been better if the young lad had somehow managed to run along the sideline with a flare of some description he managed to bring <laughs> for the moment. What would Ollie have made of that? Casey like, <laughs> uh, probably uh, beside him with a flare, like <laughs> Horgan's uh, Ollie Horgan's interview afterwards, and Archie going is going to kill Key. I, yeah. I, I don't mean to be I don't mean to be a killjoy, but I mean. The last time we did beat Derry in McGinn um, Park and we got relegated. And it's like, boom, there we go. Have some of that. But anyway, let, let's go to some, uh, let's go around the ground to some of our chats. So yeah, uh, you spoke to Stephen Bradley uh, in a wind tunnel after uh, the, uh, the Shamrock Rovers win against Waterford. Stephen, just the, the end of the game there, was it was probably the most striking, I think, visual thing in the pitch was Neil Frugia, how disconsolate he looked coming off. And you're just feeling for the kid. You're worried that maybe he's he's tweaked his hamstring again. Yeah, we're worried as well. Um, he, he picked up a really bad injury to 21s. That, uh, just hasn't been able to get right. Um, we've obviously been really patient with him. We got him on today. Um, and uh, it looks like he's tweaked it again, whether it's... Um, a nerve damage, or we're not sure. We just have to have a look at it. But we've we've tried to look at everything. When here, we've we've spoke to everyone uh, from from Leinster rugby to to uh, teams in Belgium to to guys that work in Holland. We've spoke to everyone regarding it, um, and uh, we just can't get to the bottom of it. Yeah, because in the ten minutes or whatever he was playing, he showed the flashes of what he can do. Yeah, he showed what he can bring to us and what he what he give this team when we get him right. But we just have to be patient and and. Uh, and uh, go back to the drawing board now and see what we have to do to get him right because, like you said, for 10 minutes he's, he shows real, real quality. He's a terrible tackle on Aaron Green as well. Yeah, yeah horrendous tackle. You know, I think um, I think it's a sending off. I think the ref needs to needs to take control of the game at that point because in the last minute, then Dara looks like he has a really bad ankle in there because of that tackle as well. I know sometimes there's 50-50s and, and people you come out the wrong end of them, but they were horrendous tackles. Um, leg breakers you know so so uh, yeah really disappointed with that you dropped four points in the first round of games how would you assess it a quarter of the season in really happy um, really really happy because I feel this team will only get better as we go um, stronger I think you can see signs of it every week there was times today where it was brilliant um, and, and what you don't need to do is chasing points while you're trying to find Thankfully, we've got a lot of points on the board. We're still finding the highest gear, and there's still a bit to come from this team. Because there have been kind of dramatic changes in the middle of the pitch as well. Yeah. Big changes, and like you said, I don't know. 
uh, left backs or right back, it's all down the spine of the team, and, and that's that's uh, massive. And, and but thankfully now we have around the games, and uh, everyone's getting used to how we play, uh, our habits. You can see it uh, every week. Like I said today, some of it was brilliant, um, and it'll only get better. But we've picked up the points, which is the most important thing, as we're finding uh, our feet. They're a good bunch of lads. Brilliant. Yeah, fantastic. I think the record uh, shows that. You know, they they show up every week. Um, three points and then they put to bed and they focus on the next game and um, no really really uh, good group focused really professional so Dan and I quote your tweet Sheedy and Newell gone from Watford normally the departure of a management team leads void on the bench but this news means Watford may actually have a full one this weekend and there ends uh, one of the most I would argue bizarre managerial duos ever appointed in the League of Ireland where do they go from here Yes, well, now this this is this is the joys of podcasting, son. Because I mean, clearly, anyone listening to this as though it was live. I mean, two minutes ago, at the start of this Stephen Bradley interview, you made no reference to the fact that, that Kevin Sheedy and Mike Neal. This was actually their last game as Watford manager. Indeed. And some and some people made and and we made no reference at the start of the show. And if people out there think that we might have recorded a podcast earlier and then later edited it, they can go screw themselves. We wouldn't do anything like that, yeah. would we? Or, or would we? Or are we? Did we just want to leave people? Did we want people to complain and say we hadn't mentioned? It? What is Lee what? Power? What is Lee Power doing? Because like Mike Sheedy was one of the quietest managers. Mike Sheedy. Mike, Mike Sheedy. Mike Sheedy. Kevin Sheedy. Who's Mike Sheedy? Kevin Sheedy. That's it. It's a composite he, of the two. It, there's a reason Kevin Sheedy wasn't a manager up until now. He's a, he, he comes across a gentleman, but he's very very quiet. And Mike Newell, he's not quiet. But anyway, it didn't work, and now. Um, I think Watford might well be able to kick on, but I, I honestly don't know where they go from here. But I do expect that Brian Murphy might be back no time in no time at all. Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's. I think where do they go from here? Well, they they'll probably go into a better place than where they were going if they had retained that management team from everything I've heard. And I mean, listen, it's Lee Power has issues going on with Swindon at the moment. Mm. I, I can't imagine that the Watford are foremost in his thoughts. And obviously the appointment, I mean, they've gone for John Sheridan, who then, of course, ended up at Swindon um, eventually. But they've, 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 and then left them, of course. But they, so there's been a lot going on in the last year with, with Lee Power's clubs. And this is obviously, a, you know, a bizarre situation. A bizarre appointment. Um, to me, they didn't know the league. That's, but let's not be nimbyish about it like we can People, some managers have come in and done a brilliant job because they got the grips with the league straight away. To be fair, Sheridan, for all sort of little quirks, did actually a very good job in terms Absolutely. of organising and, and sending out a very decent team. And they were so close to Europe. So, like, he did a good job. Um, but but Sheedy uh, and Newell didn't really appear to be going that way. And certainly some of the concerns that people had seemed to be around, like, aspects of match preparation and, and work that was being done. And listen, there'll always be two sides to the story of that, two different opinions. Um, but obviously the, the facts were, you know, they did two wins and seven defeats in nine games. And they didn't appear to be getting any better. Um, you know, initially the excuse would be, well, they didn't know the league. A lot of their players come in at the last minute, very fair point. But you would have thought the more, like over Sheridan, the more time they had together, they got better. In this one, it seemed like the more time they, they had together, 
they were getting possibly a little bit worse. They're only four and points off the top half good. after all of that. They're level with Longford. So the, whoever comes in, you know, um, the players aren't that bad, just looking at them. And I've kind of been watching them since neither of the Murphys have been playing, um, particularly, arguably, the best goalkeeper in the league. Um, I don't think goalkeeping has been the issue. But the players, I thought the players actually tried. Some of them are young. Some of them will improve. There's hope for them now. Yeah, and, and I mean, they might have a full bench at the weekend anyway. Mm. I mean, Mike Gagan, the head of the academy, is coming in. So um, some of the academy players will will, will get into the mix, uh, you would have thought. Um, and yeah, as you mentioned, Darren Murphy being fit, Brian Murphy will, will surely come back into things and things look better. But, but in reality, and this was my uh, assessment before this news broke, um, I think you broadly agreed with me, the way the table was shaping up, you know, the Dock Derry and Bowes are in the bottom half. You're not expecting them to stay there. Um, and um, although, I mean, someone has to be in the bottom half eventually. But really, even at a very early stage, it was shaping up into a Waterford-Longford uh, fight. And having well, seen yeah. Longford on Monday, having seen Longford on Monday, they're not bad. It's my first time seeing them. They're not bad at all. And um, They did lose to Waterford, in fairness, which is obviously disappointing to them. Um, but generally across the first series, they've equipped themselves pretty well at times, Longford. And Waterford, really, I think anyone you know, observing the club could see the way things were going, that really their whole survival probably banked on staying ahead of Longford. And there's, a, there's 27 games to go. There's a long way to go. Um, but it's possible it may go that way, or, or certainly to, to stop it from going that way, I think change, uh, change was needed. So um, we will see. I suppose by next week we'll have more of an idea about what is actually happening there. Now, in terms of Longford... Uh, as I mentioned, I was down at Longford and Dock on Monday. I was impressed by them. I think as much as Peter Cherry made two horrendous mistakes early on, two absolutely horrendous mistakes, like Longford, actually the most, and that gave them a bit of a head start, but Longford's the most impressive spell of the game for me was actually after half time because I thought the Dock might, you know, having got back to 2-1, might step things up, you would expect as a sort of full-time, powerful team and go on. But Longford came out, for the second half, much the stronger side, a bit more disciplined and, and a bit more um, stronger collective unit. In fairness, Jim Jilton admitted as much uh, and they earned their point in the end. But anyway, um, after that game, I did manage to speak in sort of group interviews uh, to Daniel Kelly uh, from the dog, his, his first game back. Uh, and you'll hear him first. And then we have a couple of brief words as well from Jim, Jim Jilton. It's firstly, is it good, just good to be back out playing yourself? I suppose personally, I, I guess there's a bit of a relief in that being involved. Yeah, finally got back out to me, oh, back out on the pitch. It was great to be back out there. Of the last week or so, I've just been training with the lads for the first time, and I think it's five and a half months. The last game I played was the Arsenal game. I think it was the 10th of December. So I was doing a lot of work behind the scenes. So a lot of credit goes to Danny Graham and Morse to get me back to. Thought I felt sharp. I felt good. Usually. The last times I've been trying to come back, I've sort of been okay to train, and then the following couple of days it's got inflamed and stuff, so it just set me back every time. So because I didn't think originally that was a bad injury, it just how many times I went back, it just got worse. So I had to sort of give it an extra few weeks and let it time to recover, and then just the last couple of weeks I've sort of kicked on, and it felt great out there today. What's it been like sitting in the stands? Because obviously results have been going great; it's been obvious, and <clears throat> I assume there's a real frustration with that as you you can't really do anything about yeah, it. It's, it's harder to watch in the stands than it is playing. I'm telling you that, and even watching from home, it's just oh my god. We we seem to be like we're not obviously we're not rolling on full cylinders yet. We just seem to be playing in spells, and unfortunately, we keep giving teams head starts, and it's it's tough. I think the old and dock, even if we're giving teams head starts, we're able to we're able to batter teams in the end. But 
the way we are at the moment, we're in a tough run of games and tough run of form, so it's, it's harder for us to pull it back. I thought we done enough tonight to win two or three games with the amount of chances we got. We just we just seem to be lacking in the final third a bit, so it's, it's something to build on. I know people are going to say we're, we're sort of saying the same things every week, but we need to try and kick on now. The first round of fixtures are done, so we put that passes and hopefully look forward to the next three rounds. Yeah, I mean, as you said, it's the, this is a quarter of the way into yeah. the season now. You're 13 points behind. I mean, is that is that retrievable? I think on the basis of a couple of years ago, it is. It's not a question. Obviously, we don't want to. We haven't got a leg to stand on at the minute to, to say that we're going to crawl it back. And I think Rovers are doing everything that they probably tell you themselves. They haven't sort of hit hit the hit the road running as as of yet as well, and still winning games. So, listen, the the, the league isn't over yet. It's far too cold, far too early doors to be saying the league is over. So we've we've just to look after ourselves and take a game by game. I know it's an old cliche, but we literally have to take it day by day and game by game, as Jim said. So and just try and kick on and hopefully start picking up a few wins. As players, like. You know, the, the managerial situation has changed you now have a, a temporary manager I mean would you like that resolved soon can you get involved do you just wait and see what happens it's just a sort of wait and see what happens I know Bill and Jim are sort of whether we don't really get told anything as of yet because there's, there's so much going on so we, we we haven't got told any names or anything yet if there's someone to come in happy days if there's not we just have to keep going the players that's been there the last year the likes of Shields and Boiler and stuff sort of Nothing changes from the in- inset, the four walls in the dressing room. We sort of we need to be better, no matter who's in charge or who's managing us. We all need to be better as individuals and as a collective. So, but obviously, the stuff going on behind the scenes it does it does affect you, and you can sort of see it this year. But um, it's it's not an excuse, and we just need to be better all, all around the park. Uh, you're on the end of treatment room, but it's fairly full at the moment. It's uh, yeah. that that's not helping either. No, unfortunately, not. I don't know what it is up in the lock. The last two since I've come in, it's just the injuries galore. So, I, to be honest, we just haven't got just as well. We have the squad that we have, or we would have struggled. That's um, it's just unfortunate the way the, the injuries that we got. A lot of them are, are like tough injuries to take as well. Like the lads, are, like just the likes of Pat and stuff with his calf, and then Sam as well. It's just. Poor Sonny as well. Like he's played three games or something for his international team and came back, and he was like he didn't get any time to recover, and that's that sort of left him out a couple of weeks. And Gareth's got his operation there a couple of weeks last week, so hoping to see him back. Obviously not in the soon future, but uh, there's no better man to come back and prove everybody wrong as he's done before. Jim says you've been torturing him about getting minutes before this. Yeah, I I seen his interview. I don't know where he, he asked me a few weeks ago who did I grow, like grown up when I was Ronaldo. I didn't I didn't actually say that I played like Ronaldo or anything, but. Uh, uh, Jim has been great since he came in. I get a, he's got, I've got on really well with him, and he's he's great to deal with. And he's helped me a lot already. Even though I haven't been in around the lads just off the pitch, he's been positive and telling me keep going, keep going, you'll get your chance. So thankfully, the the week with training with the lads was, was very good, and he sort of I didn't know whether I was going to come on. It looked like I was trying to put myself on early, just watching the game. I was standing up and stuff. So uh, delighted I got the chance to come on. And obviously, it's a draw. It's not the, the result we want, but on a personal level, it was good to be back out there. You feel ready for Sligo if you're calling yeah, upon them? Absolutely, or? yeah, definitely ready. Oh yeah, in training, it's a lot more. I'm starting to see because you're out so long. It's hard not to think about your knee, and because you've been out, it's hard. It's, it sticks in your head. But when you go out on the pitch, you don't have time to think. So it all just whatever happens happens, and you, you have to just react. And it felt absolutely perfect out there before, like it would have felt before me injury. Actually happened so I'm delighted with, with how it feels at the moment they're, they're one of the teams I suppose that are ahead of and uh, even whatever the title you have to get in European place and here as a minimum um, yeah. so in that regard it's a, it's a big game on Friday yeah huge game obviously at the start of the year we we played them the first game and it wasn't our best performance but uh, we got a draw so they don't, they've done well the first 
first quarter of the, the season to be fair to them so we just need to put things right in the pitch and let the football do the talk and there's no better better group to come back and keep fighting what, What's the atmosphere like around the group? I mean you mentioned there's been a lot of stuff going on a lot of changes you still have to come to work every day and yeah. like, any, like any workplace <laughs> you've taken a few blows like, what's the actual mood been like? To be fair like the atmosphere is actually really good it's just I think if it wasn't for bad luck we'd have no luck at the moment in terms of injuries and decisions that's gone against us and just I don't think any team like we've got through the first round of fixtures and I don't think any team has actually came came to Oriel or we've gone away from home and actually broke us down and scored a really good goal it all seems to be just individual errors mistakes and it's just on behalf of ourselves you just need to be better as I said but the, the morale in the group is really good obviously we're disappointed in the way we've started the season but as I said before like the, the group that's in there that's been there the last seven or eight years are, are, there's no better group to come back and keep fighting as I said and listen we won't be looking at Rovers or any other teams we just need to focus on ourselves and, and try and kick on now We were slow really slow starting we were sloppy from the off uh, and you give the opposition you know, the owners to really go and press the game and they did and they deserve immense credit for that. Uh, I thought their attitude and application in difficult conditions were better than ours and although Peter will be extremely disappointed for the two goals, I was disappointed with our overall play, uh, especially first half. We weren't good enough with the ball at times and and sloppy and as a result we, you know, we went in 2-1 down. Second half we were slightly better. It didn't until the last probably 15 minutes when we made further changes that we pepper the goal but out and out chances I think we're better than what we showed tonight and certainly in the last couple of games we've been better There's something so strangely wrong with that team in many levels It's a bit of a strange one as well because they've got a very good squad yet they've ended up looking mm. light in certain areas like um, in fairness Junior did okay the other night but, but like Hubert and McMillan being out is a blow then defensively so Gartland's out for the season and Natastad has come back injured from international duty so Boyle and Cleary are, are I mean, I, I'm, I don't know, they, like James Rogers had a stat the other day, they've used 25 players already this season, which is, you know, incredible. It's more than they used in a lot of the title winning seasons under Kenny. They've used them in, in nine games, which says a lot about, you know, how they don't have any harmony, really, consistency. But actually Boyle and Cleary have, have pretty much played all of the matches. And Boyle is, I mentioned that there, Boyle is strapped up. And he, I think they're, you know, I think that they're just in areas of the pitch they're feeling the effects. Then they've got um, like the fullback situation. Dumigan's now injured. Like they're picking up just a lot of injuries. You know, just a lot mm. of niggly injuries. So as a result, like when they, you know, you think they're getting something together, but then all of a sudden, no, they're putting together a new side you haven't seen play together before. And, and um, it's no surprise that they can't put a sequence of, of results together. So, um, you know, Zahibo is a big signing. It's a sort of a big money signing. Um, I thought he's looked good so far, but then he came off the bench on the other night and big presence, but it just, he, he actually, he actually struggled a bit and he was very lucky. It was a, it was a, it was a dreadful attempt at a pass inadvertently created the, the break for the, for the equalizer. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be a really interesting test for them on against Sligo Rovers on Friday, because there would have been a sequence of results that if Sligo had lost, um, to, to Pats um, and Dundalk had won the other night in theory Dundalk could have gone third on Friday which all of a sudden puts a very different complexion on almost you know that they're only looking up to two teams but but instead now like you know you would say that um, Sligo Rovers are a more solid proposition than Dundalk at the moment so they really need to lift their levels 
Um, and and even just they just don't they just a lot of square pegs and round holes. I was I was I know we don't we don't the, the, the lack of a preseason the lack of a preseason is something that's hurt them. Uh, Bill Hulsizer yeah. spoke to James Rogers in his podcast. You know a lot of very bizarre stuff out of Bill really, but you know I think you know I think everyone acknowledges that the the lack of a preseason. I think that was just a mistake, and it's refreshing to at least hear people say that was a mistake. The one thing that did come out with them talk in the last couple of days is their accounts and the fact that they got into the Europa League group stages last year, albeit in a pandemic the big wage bill and almost well they recorded a profit for the year but they did but I mean if you're not recording a profit for the year when you've made a serious amount of money in Europe which UEFA paid most of it up front and quicker uh, than they would normally and I've seen some people suggest the European money doesn't come through till next summer that's not true they would have received the bulk of it Uh, there will be some delayed payments afterwards most emphasizes to you how much money they would have lost last year if they hadn't got into the Europa League group stages that's kind of like uh under under strengths, you 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 put accounts, but you know, that's they have to get to the over league. Like, <laughs> like, like, like I remember, I remember, <laughs> but, but I remember, I, I, I remember when they won the penalty shootout in Moldova, which really was the big one, and I would have been speaking to people mm. who felt, well, at least for all that's you know gone wrong, at least that you don't want to end up in a situation where you owe the owners loads of money, you know, potentially. And at least that income, that's why that was so, so, so significant. And in fairness to Peak Six, uh, they put in like around 1.5 million last year. Um, like they, they, for all my criticism of them, like they have put money in, but at the same time, you know, what if they, if they ever need to get back out, are they going to end up, did not end up owing them a lot of money? And that's obviously a concern that a lot of people um, would have. But that at least getting that money from prize money from UEFA has them the, the flow a small bit but we, but we, don't, we don't in fairness given our, our certainly my background we don't actually talk about odds much this program but to dock at odds on at home to Sligo is one of the daftest things I've ever seen um, absolutely daft daft stuff but we will at the end of the show after we talk to Kevin McHugh and Andy Myler we'll talk about the massive games coming up this weekend um, including Dundalk and Sligo and obviously the big one is Pats and Rovers just want to mention Dan my thoughts were with Neil Ferrugia a bit after the, 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 his comeback game against Watford he's like a 10 or 15 minute cameo where he looks like he's you know doing really well I was like this is going to be exciting for Shamrock Rovers and he hasn't played for six months and he does his hamstring again and it looked pretty serious I just wanted to give him a mention because I really really yeah. had sympathy for him at the game on Monday No yeah and listen he's a terrific fella who like has a real chance of having a very good career in football, in my opinion. And it just hasn't, and, and I say in my opinion, I mean, my opinions are relevant, but in the opinion of a lot of people who really know football, um, you know, who I've spoken to, they really felt, um, you know, Neil could, could really push on. And I think there was a feeling he could, he could go pretty far and it just hasn't happened from at Rovers. Um, and I can only imagine like the frustration of a long build up to come back and then suffering an issue again. Um, yeah, listen, he's, he's, he's such a good lad, and um, he's he, listen. He's he's a very bright and intelligent fellow who's doing doing his studies, and you know we'll hear from Andy Myler later. Like you know, he's he's obviously you know very well set up to do well in whatever he wants to do in life. But obviously, he wants to do football, and um, he's just had no luck with that at the moment. But um, let's move you on from that. Football. You want to be a pro player as well, didn't you? I, I'm what I'm worried about now is that I do respect the fact that you're a good astro player, you've two feet and all that. But the more <laughs> I walk around and the more I get up on Mondays, and you have to get up on Mondays, let's be honest, the more I'm worried about I don't know if I ever play an astro. Like, what, well, what I mean, sort of niche are we going to be in? Well, I think I think I think I gave up my dreams of being a pro player when I was around 11. 
I think, you know, because I hit the coke hard then, you know, it was cans of coke, obviously. But, um, yeah. you know, I, I, I sort of, I, I lost some of my early promise. I think I think the dream was probably, didn't Living seem realistic. Eerie, at that. I mean, you could have well, been no. a developer. No, I think I fancied getting into some kind of dark milk cup squad when I was like 14. I didn't do it. It was like, well, you know, maybe it's just, maybe it's not going to happen for you here, you know? Um, mm. I what don't know. You know? What, 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 did you, what did you want to be? Well, it's funny, we, when we got to know each other, we were uh, what John Gill might call internet nerds or whatever, or something like that. But I had a League of Ireland website. And one of the first Shout people... Together, I had, one, 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 of the, one of the first people I had an exclusive interview with on the old League of Ireland website was none other than Kevin McHugh, Dan. Yeah, so Kevin McHugh, we're very, very glad to have you on the show, Kevin. We actually just had... A, we've, had we've got Andy Myler coming up later on as well. So we're, we're sort of well-stocked with... A, prolific goal scorers on the on the show tonight but are on the show this, this week sorry but um listen the initial reason we wanted to talk to you it's obviously very very sad news the passing of Alan Keeley who um who you know was a well-traveled player but on his travels he was part of a Finn Harps promotion win inside along with yourself in 2004 I think it was I mean it's it's really sad news I mean what are your, your memories of Alan? Yeah it was it was as shocked as everybody else um when I heard the news, I didn't hear anything other than obviously the death of Alan. It was, um, it was one of my colleagues uh, rang me about it. But yeah, my, my memories of him, Dan, would have been, um, I remember when he came in, we knew he was Dermot's son. Um, so obviously Dermot had the, this kind of, he had this kind of reputation of being a real, real hard nut, uh, real top defender and like no nonsense kind of defender. And so that's the kind of thing that we, we took Alan was going to be when and when the change room was an absolute gentleman. Uh, but on, on the pitch, um, surprised us because he was so good at actually carrying the ball and dribbling out and joining in from the defence to uh, the, the midfield and stuff. So that was a big surprise for us. Um, uh, and it was a, a welcome surprise. And he, he added hugely to our, our title one in season in 2004. Yeah, I mean, it's it's... Obviously, like, you know, lads traveling up and this is the Harps thing. I mean, they have it at the moment. They still have a couple of lads making the trip. And there's obviously, you know, you know, the, the lads that are living locally, you know, who would see more of each other, I guess, than the lads who are sort of traveling up a bit. But did you get a chance to sort of know them in that, in that sort of time, if you know what I mean? Yeah, I suppose, yeah, you make a good point. The, the, the boys that do travel up, unless they're traveling with someone else, they don't, they, the bonding's not there as much as, as the, the boys that are up there locally and maybe going out after the game uh, and obviously training the, the three, four nights a week. Usually the boys from Dublin are coming up maybe once, twice, maybe once for training and once for the game. Um, I don't know if that's the current setup at the minute with the first team, but that's the way it was for, for Alan. Um, did we get to know Alan as, as good as we probably wanted? They probably not, but there's loads of bus journeys where we were picking them up in Dublin and, and heading to Waterford and, and Limerick and Pizzle the Gap, and he would have been on the bus with us. So we did, we did get to know him quite well. Um, he he was he, he was quite kind of natured. Um, definitely real, real gentleman. And he done he definitely was one of those players that done his talking on the pitch. Um, as far as we're concerned, and he would yeah. have kept. You know, I mean, he would have been, he might have even been quiet on the bus at times. But as soon as he put on the jersey, he was like he was electric then. Mm. You, would you have played against them too as well? You know, I'm trying to think, obviously he travelled around a bit club-wise yeah. or was it more your time playing with him that you recall, if you know what I mean? No, I do I do remember playing against him. I think it was with Dublin City, if I'm correct. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah. definitely do remember playing against them. Um, and he obviously, 
it was one of those centre halves because back like back then, uh, without taking any credit away from a lot of the defenders I played against, a lot of a lot of defenders were were coached to defend and nothing else. Whereas now you have to be very comfortable on the ball and 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 enjoying the dots, so to speak. But Alan was kind of ahead of his time that way. He was able to. He was actually one of those defenders actually liked carrying the ball and joining in attacks, even though he used to give Felix the odd heart attack at times uh, going from the defence in the midfield. But and sometimes he actually just kept kept going. I do have uh, memories hmm. of him just in his first training session. Just sometimes you would get centre half that might kind of join in the midfield. But I remember Alan at times and us looking around, kind of laughing. He he just kind of kept going. And it just opened up and he kept going and kept going and he was like he was running through on goal. It was just it was just something that we never seen before, you know. So yeah, it was a welcome addition. It's really it's really funny you say that because like you know Dermot is such a powerful figure as you mentioned and like the 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 wild man reputation that Dermot had as a, as a player and a manager. And it's interesting that you just would assume that the son would have the same style. It's just a, a, an assumption yeah. you would have in terms of their playing style. And yeah. yes. Completely, and, and listen, Dermot was bloody good as well too. But obviously, physicality yeah. was a big part of this thing. But Alan had a yeah, different you're, style. You're spot on, and, and I think we had preconceived notions of what Alan was going to be like when he came in. And when you look at his father, probably one of the, the greatest all-time defenders in League Ireland history, and the things that he won is just secondly known. But he, it was a no-nonsense approach. And um, whereas Alan had a bit of that, but he had, mostly his game was um, obviously centered around. Been really good on the ball and, and reading the game and stuff. So he was definitely a, a contrast to his father's style, you know. Yeah. Well, listen. I mean, we, we we will move on from that now. But obviously, you know, it's a it's, they're nice words, and we are, I'm sure we 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 we've, we've mentioned it earlier on in the show. But we can only send our condolences to the family because it's obviously really uh really really sad news. Yeah, and mm. the same from from Fun Harps and and. Football club and everybody involved, and I know from chat they some of my teammates, and they would like to express their their condolences to Dermot and his family and Alan's family as well. Yeah, um, it's, we it's very a, much appreciate that. It's a long time, Kevin, since I, I I was interviewing you for League of Ireland website when I was I think I was about half the age I am now, if not younger. Um, but I think one of us's age may be better than the other. How have you been since your retirement? Grant, I I haven't had time to retire. I'll be honest with you. As soon as uh, when I was playing, I was I was running the academy, and mm. then when I finished playing, uh, just uh, the whole role, the whole role just kind of got busier and busier anyway. And um, every couple of months, just the job list has been added um, to my my list. And academies all around the country for League Ireland clubs are growing and growing, and, and it's something that I'd be very heavily involved in, and that keeps me really busy. You know, really really busy. It's interesting, um, you know. If, there's a few things like I mean, Michal Martin was on off the ball last night, and I don't know if you heard it, but he one of the things he spoke about was he was I don't I'm not sure if he was fully expecting some of these questions, but he was asked about funding League of Ireland academies. Like this is something that maybe you know the government could look to do. And it's funny, he did say, Well, maybe we should step up to the plate. Maybe this is um, you know, there's maybe this is something that we should be looking to do if if obviously the FAI prioritize it. And I know there's been changes with Will Clark coming in. To a new role in the FAI, and I know that, that in fairness to Finn Harps, in particular, actually, there's a couple of regional clubs that have really stepped up in terms of this area. But in terms of that that help, in terms of funding, because obviously Finn Harps is two pronged because you have the stadium situation as well too. Um, but but how important is it from what you're seeing on the ground that that, that the League of Ireland Academy start to get some help 
know they have to help themselves, but obviously to get a little bit of an external help to push things forward. Yeah, absolutely. Like my biggest headache at the minute, um, obviously hiring coaches and making sure they're educated and and putting curriculums in at each age group. That all comes with the territory. But my biggest headache at the moment is trying to juggle. We've eight squads, four academy, um, four national league. And then this is going to double again in the next few years with the, the Girls Academy coming on board. So facilities is 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 a big handicap for us. And, and I'm juggling even as I speak. Like I, I have to phone two more coaches tonight because because of the weather and we have to change pitches and we're trying to look after things. We have to ship other people around the county. And it's just mm. it's just a nightmare. It's just a nightmare trying to juggle all that. And they, those energies could be spe- spent more on the on the pitch and, and on other things. Um, but that's 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 basically my biggest headache over the last four or five years facilities. And obviously, as you mentioned, the the stadium. Obviously, things will improve when we get uh, pitches around the new stadium. But that's that's going to be at least another couple of years before they're ready. So, um, I, I do think it's a huge a, a huge issue in in Irish sport. Obviously, the league and academies. Every every club's the same. I don't think there's many clubs that actually own their own facilities. Mm. And. And I, and I think it would be a great starting point if the league Arden clubs had their own base, like a centre of excellence at each club, and um, where everybody, just even for the safety factor, people travelling, just that consistency of and knowing where they're at and, and being able to manage things and, and coaches coming in, uh, rather than being told the night before you're changing to a different location. There's all those pluses if we, we like obviously, and that would have to come with funding. Uh, and it'll be brilliant if the FBI would prioritise something like this uh, and go hunting after the the government, maybe they, they help, because there's no doubt about it. Um, if you have professional academies and, and things turning over and players turned over into your first team, you're going to have a better product. Um, and we're going to have, obviously, that'll spill on to the international setup as well. And you also, yeah. you'd have players staying in the country and you'd have people in, effectively employed locally in a local um, industry as well. This would be like, off the top of my head, just at least 20 clubs across the country that would have academies, would have to employ younger coaches. Um, you know, you're talking about buses and, you know, all the kind of onset that comes from that, from having a proper football industry from youth up. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I, I, I've heard, I had to, I've had to turn off a few... Uh, podcast that I was listening to recently and different things that people have all these opinions and saying the League Ireland Club are not fit to run academies, all this kind of absolute nonsense. There's some absolutely the of the most qualified. Like I, I know people and in, in clubs in the UK and, and clubs all over and, and in the States. And we have as many qualified coaches and as many experienced players, uh, past players and, and up and coming coaches coming through League Ireland Club. So that 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 kind of notion is absolute nonsense, and I think it's a cheap shot. I don't know why people are, are continuing to go down that line. Like the Academy League Ireland clubs, um, if you go to any any European country, all the top clubs that are playing the top divisions have players coming in from, they have them coming in from 10 years of age, never mind uh, people kicking up stink, and that we have them coming in on the 14s. And if the truth be told, on the 14s are probably not young enough. And if you if you can get them a year or two even earlier again, then you're going to have a better product by the time they get to 14. So it just makes sense that we have good academies at the League Ireland clubs. And um, but I also think it's hugely important the League Ireland clubs work with the school by cl- clubs in the region. Uh, and I, and I think that's the secret to the whole thing. And uh, we we've got a good working relationship with school by clubs in Donegal, uh, and we we hope to continue that uh, while while trying to grow our own academy. You know. I, I think that's interesting. I, I don't know what podcast you're referring to, but like that, 
there is a, I, I think sometimes that some of these debates on a national scale can be very Dublin centric. Some of the discussions, because clearly the, the schoolboy picture there, like some traditional schoolboy powers have, have been sort of knocked down a peg by changes that have happened. That is obviously some of the, you know, I think a lot of the commentary comes from issues there. Whereas I think the strength to me of the national leagues is more so stories like Finn Harps. In fairness, even Waterford with some of their academy stuff, as much as they're not putting any of them on the bench, which is a sort of a different different subject at the moment. But there's there's a regional aspect to this too. And maybe sometimes some of the national debate is very Dublin oriented. I don't know if that is that your experience or not, or what you're referring yeah, to. But... Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. See, a lot of a lot of the Dublin clubs really didn't have have a problem. If you flash back five or six years ago, because the DDSL was of such a good standard that these players were getting that uh, taste of high level football every single week. And um, but that's all you had. You had a really really strong DDSL, and then you had really watery leagues all around the country. Um, but now, because of the, the national leagues and, and people stepping up to the plate with academies, now you're starting to see more competitive um, teams all, dotted all around the country. Um, and, and obviously, we needed it. There's no, there's no point in lying about it. The regional clubs needed a national league more so than the Dublin clubs. Um, but that's not to say that the standards are starting to rise, like, like see your Shamrock Rovers and Pats and obviously Bosons and Kevins and... Um, Awesome at leaving out shelves. They're all really, really strong academies with strong teams. And um, so the higher they can raise the bar and the more we can try and keep up with them, then it's going to raise the standard of football. Whereas if we hadn't got the national leagues, these players are only been exposed. Um, because I've been I've been in both sides of the camp. I've been in inter inter-county scene with the schoolboys. We are getting maybe a game every month um, on one training session a week, whereas now they're getting two to three training sessions a week plus high-level game every week. So it just, it just makes so much sense um, that the National Leagues continue the, the work and we just need to build on it. And I, I just touched back on that again. I just really, really think it's important. And the senior clubs do have that responsibility to work with their local schoolboy clubs um, because not everything's right. Um, I have no doubt about it. And not everything's right the way things are set up. But at the end of the day, it's, it's not the League Ireland club's fault either. Uh, at the same time, because... It's part of the licensing that we have to have certain teams. But um, in my opinion, and this is not the opinion of the, the club, in my own personal opinion, I really think that the National Leagues have been a huge success. Um, and and the regional clubs really, really need them. And, and you know, that's, that's probably what I was pointing at, Dan, regards um, the podcast. I, I just feel it's just a cheap shot. They say, they say the clubs can't run them. Clubs don't have the facilities. We, we know we don't have the facilities. Um, but we do have the expertise and we do... Want to make players better, and that's that's what to me that's what it all comes down to. Facilities are, I can manage, I can manage this headache of facilities as long as we're getting qualified people to come in and teach them the right things. I can live with all that, but it would definitely make life easier if we can get a bit of funding and um, towards. Um, yeah, because it's really interesting. Sorry, Johnny. Yeah, just one second, because it's really interesting you say that, because the recent article that was in the Sunday Business Post, which is David Snaid, and it was an interesting thing that um, the Conor Maradona said, um, who, uh, whose who's name? I, uh, Liam, Car Liam Carney. Liam Carney said yeah. a big bugbear he had was that um, it was almost a badge of honour that a lot of these underage coaches were volunteers, where he said, this can't be, it can't be a volunteer thing. We need proper, proper paid coaches. But the money obviously isn't there unless there's proper funding for that industry in this country, because the money isn't there from obviously the FAI or from gate receipts or whatever. 
yeah, that's that's spot on. We 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 have twenty five coaches in our academy, and only four um, get expenses um, towards the the national league. The head coaches, everybody else, and and it's credit to them and obviously credit to us to try and get them in. And we obviously try and help them along with their badges and help fund things to go. Um, but we have some fantastic people, and I have no doubt every other club's the same. League Ireland clubs the same. They they want to push themselves on the same as players. So. We've kind of modelled that we're trying to not just improve the players, we're trying to improve the coaches as well. So that that really, really works well. Yeah, it's interesting. But I suppose the one thing, you know, as a sort of an academy head, like in theory, you'd like to get to the position where you're spending all of your time or a fair degree of your time thinking about, say, development plans and strategies or, or you know, but obviously you're spending a certain amount of headspace in your day dealing with pitches and dealing with, you know, logistical stuff. Now, I appreciate that's all going to be a part of the job to some degree, but like, is the fear that when the, when the resources are poor, that people who maybe they, they're spending a lot of time expending energy on those issues as opposed to the football issues, and that's maybe the slight concern that people would have. Yeah, I, I, absolutely. And like, I I'd be on a Zoom tomorrow evening. That's for a golf fundraiser that we run every year, and that's totally down to the academy as well and it's trying to raise funds that'll help coaches and their education and, and go towards a cup and all that stuff like all, all this stuff like people doesn't realise the amount of money it costs they run uh, academies um, and uh, I'm going to say academies I don't just mean the four National League teams and uh, we have squads between all those age groups and uh, mm-hmm. we have pre we have academy squads and then we have squads in between the, the, the 15s and 17s especially the 16s group so to keep all those going and they try and keep a high level of um, training and, and the coaches and, and pitches of, of availability, that costs money. Um, and then if you had your own facilities, then that money could be pushed somewhere else within and, and maybe help improve another aspect of the academy. So you're right, that that is a headache. Uh, it's a headache I've got used to over the last three or four years and just kind of suck it up and get on with it. But at the same time, uh, we would love a bit of help on it and we would be really really hopeful in the next year or so that the FEI would prioritise the academies and, and the funding towards them just, just two things because we're very conscious of busy days. so two questions before we let you go um, firstly I know you're involved with that side of things but it was still a historic week for the club having the win the Brandywell um, have you got a sense to sort of you know drink that in to sort of in, enjoy it I mean I know it's we, we, you know we, we, we've referred to it earlier you know like fans couldn't be there you know, we had a was a Joel Damn Bradley Walsh. Yeah, well, Joel Joel Bradley Walsh, a local lad, was sort of enjoying the moment. All right, but have you had a chance as a club to or people around the place to just savour it? Because it, I mean, it is a special special it's moment. A, no, it's, it's, a, it's a strange one because I think every club is in the same boat. Like, there's all these big games and big results for a lot of clubs, and clubs are going well. But you can't really get the share because of because of COVID and restrictions and and even pods and lockdowns and. Like I can't get in and watch training as often as I wanted to go on and watch the first team because most of them clash with our evening time anyway. But um, no, it was a fantastic result. And, and what, having watched all the games so far this year, um, it was the first time I could say from start to finish, I would go, yeah, we, we totally deserve that. There's other games where we've won and I'm going, could have went either way. Um, but this is the first game where I thought, yeah, absolutely. From start to finish, from 1 to 11, and everybody that came on all played their part. Um, and I know all they touched on it, that hunger, that hunger, was you could just see from the very first minute. Uh, and what I love to see, and, and I know all they touched on that as well, um, and for me, other than Danny Mandrew and uh, Graham Burke, 
Um, Barry McNamee has been top. What about the pass for the goal? Yeah, but he he's been doing that. He's been like a, the run was there, but the he's he like even against Shamrock Rovers, I remember he went through and he was waiting for somebody to do that as well. But he had to go on and pick the ball on himself. If you remember the Shamrock Rovers game at 0-0. Mm. Um that's the kind of thing he does. And he's been to me, he's been eight and a half, nine, nine and a half out of ten in every game that I've seen him. Um, mm. when we were getting beat, but that's the uh, he was the, he was probably the hardest working player. And the Brandywell on Friday, and I think that's the that's the secret. If you can get your your most gifted player working working his socks off, then the rest will follow. And um, so, uh, if you remember the Dundalk team with Daryl Horgan, uh, I remember always been in awe watching watching Daryl being probably their most gifted player, but he was the most hard working player, uh, and that mm. just drove everybody else on. So I think you, you're seeing something similar here with Barry McNamee. And um, he like she he put on some shift on 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 Tuesday evening or Monday evening sorry, um and top, top class performance on the ball and off the ball from him. Just just finally, Kevin, it's a slightly different topic, but um I know Stephen Kenny's a former manager of yours, and I've actually seen you at times be vocal on on social media about the job that he's trying to do with the Irish team at the moment. Like, how important is it do, for football in this country, in your opinion? That, that Stephen succeeds, that he's given time to succeed? Because obviously it's a very, I would assume even as a young coach or young managers or people working within the League of Ireland, like he has a powerful potential if things go well, you know, to have a sort of a, an inspirational effect that, that, that trickles down through the levels. And, you know, obviously he's, he's come under pressure and listen, results haven't been great and you can't, can't avoid the results haven't been great, but... What do you feel about the task that he faces at the moment, and maybe the importance of giving him a small bit of time? Well, for, firstly, if you like, if if people wanted to, like you, you, you have two. I think you have two groups of people, um, and I don't like people being kind of kind of hung up by the social media aspect, and that seems to be the way it is nowadays. And it mm. cracks me up. Stephen Kenny, to me, if you wrote down a piece of paper, um, his results and 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 the date and all, people go put an X to it and go, not, not good enough. But if you've lived through it and seen exactly what has happened and <laughs> and if you wrote down another side of paper and says, Stephen, before you even take over the role, if you could think of 10 things that could go wrong um, that would hamper your your setup. And, and they have, they've all just, uh, he's just been, he's been so unlucky. Uh, but I'm, I'm delighted that he's, he's still there and the FBI have given him his full backing. And because you can see, you can see the visible changes for me, Personally, and not that I'm no football snob, but I would much rather, and I would buy a season ticket to watch this style of play. And and and, and I'm not on just a style, and um, it's all, all all comes down to results at that level. But you can see there's a process there. The players that will be coming in uh, will fit into this um, without without um, too many changes. And he's obviously going to try and attract a better style of player because that would have been my danger if we had continued on the way we were going. We would have had these up-and-coming players who might have declared for another country because they would have looked at our setup and went, no, nah, that's dinosaur, out-of-date stuff. I don't want to be involved in that. Uh, whereas now it's more progressive and uh, and to me there's a future in it. Um, it, might, it might take a year or two, but so be it. Um, at least we have something they, they show for at the end. There's no point in us going in, uh, and playing a certain way and scrapping the results and getting to a tournament. And, and then falling flat in their face like we have done on a, on a lot of tournaments. Um, so it'd be brilliant to actually qualify for one and actually have a chance of actually doing well at one and, and, and watching the games and, and watching these players flourish. So 
that's the thing Stephen is looking to implement, and and you can see it. Obviously, the final third is the is the this the pitch where most countries are falling down at the minute, but we we definitely are. We're lacking in the final third, uh, and hopefully that's something that he, he'll address now over the next six months or a year. Thanks a million, Kevin. Yeah, Harps weren't lacking in the final third when you were around. Great to, great to see you and great to hear from you again and hopefully see you at a ground in the near future. Yeah, that was Kevin McHugh. Um, and now we're going to go to Andy Myler. Before we go to Andy Myler, Dan, though, uh, both of these lads feature in the top 20 League of Ireland all-time goal scorers, um, which brings us on to our quiz questions this week, thanks to Four Star Pizza. Yeah, Four Star Pizza quiz this week. We thought we'd go for something that's a bit topically related to... Uh, they're, they're, they're scoring up exploits at, a, at League of Ireland first division level. So, according to the official records, I'm always worried this stuff because it'd be a disputed goal that went in off someone's arse or an own goal somewhere. Um, but in the 2012 League of Ireland first division season, and I am putting this down to uh, our old friend Wikipedia, but um, there was three players finished joint top scorers in the League of Ireland first division season in 2012. Kevin McHugh was one of them. Uh, Finn Harps. I think it was his fourth time actually finishing joint top scorer or or top scorer in the first division. Um, Danny Furlong was one of the others, Wexford Utes. And the third player in 2012 to finish uh, top of the top scoring list with those two lads was a future Ireland international. Um, current Irish international, I suppose. So if you can send us the answer to that question at LOI Central pod on Twitter or hashtag LOI Central because um, it's a bit of a you know you have to think about how many Ireland internationals have played in the first division um, wouldn't yeah. be a massive amount uh, but this player did in 2012 and uh, finished joint top with McHugh and Danny Furlong on the chart so yeah please send us your answers uh, I was and hopefully you might you might be eating some delicious four star pizza and hopefully you're not uh, s- someone from Johnny's friend circle in Galway Possible. Yeah, well, I mean, it's just a lot. It's just a loyal following or people who are so tight that they want to get a free pizza every Friday night. But I'm one of them. You know, I love getting freebies. Um, <laughs> Have you entered yourself? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah well, of course you can. But it was just just when I was putting it up on Twitter there about the two lads because they scored a lot of goals. As a Dundalk fan, do you remember like a player who always seemed to score against Dundalk? And as a Galway United fan back in the day, I'm thinking Sean Francis always seemed to score against us. And more recently, Gary Shaw, unbelievably good record against Galway United. Oh, I'm trying to think of, of sort of teenage days going to them. See, the thing about going to watch the dog in your teenage years is that everyone was scoring against them at that time for a period. You know, there was a season where I went to every game and they got relegated. So I, yeah. I can't think who it was. that I, I, I think like when they went, I'm trying to think, um, who was it at draw? There was a couple of draw the players that always used to do well against the dog. Um, I'm trying to think. I'm trying, I remember Trevor Crowley scoring a famous goal in the cup match, but he wasn't exactly prolific. Ah, listen, there's a lot of players. Tony Itzi would have been probably one that might have been the first division years, and then he, he had a brief spell playing for him. Mm. Um, there probably is, like, you sort of, yeah, you know, the memories of that time are, are a bit hazy now. It's a long time, a long time, a long since time ago. I was traveling to games as a sort of a, as a fan, you know, it's a very different experience. So, um, and now I think I've spent what 17 years or so working like professionally watching games, so it's definitely, um, whole relationship changes there but I'm trying to think yeah they they they, they are a couple that spring to mind I seem to remember was it John Ryan playing for Drada for a while or yeah I'm not sure I'm not entirely sure but uh, you bad Miller memories definitely, of sh- uh, 
Andy Myler Andy definitely scored plenty of goals against Go United. Um, and I, I have a feeling we might go down a bit of memory lane with him. Let's talk to Andy. Andy Myler, how are you getting on? I'm good, Johnny. Dan, how are you doing? Very good. How are you? How is, how is, uh, we're, we're having the same conversation with everyone, but how is football in the pandemic going for you? It's a sort of an interesting time, um, but results-wise it's going well, but just the working week and all of that, how's that faring for you? Yes, okay, I suppose it's one of it's amazingly normal, and that's a good thing at the at the moment for you know it actually it, bring, it brings you back to something you do. The rhythm of it seems the same, other than the the match nights where there's nobody around, which is which which you much rather there was. I know people will laugh at that as the UCD manager saying, hmm. you know, UCD manager looking for crowds, but um, <laughs> the it most of it is the same. I mean, the the training is the same. Everything else, all your prep is the same. Uh, you know, little bits of differences on match days, but you know, not necessarily being able to go to hotels for for meals, etc., whatever. But but other than that, um, what you call it, you get to to you get you out of the house apart from anything else, and get you doing something that you like doing. So um, yeah, it's football. Football is a great release at the moment. Are are, are all the scholarship lads like um, on campus like they would be? You know, because obviously. You know, there's different t- things in academia going on at the moment. I know your your day job is actually in UCD as well, so I know yeah. it's not necessarily like full capacity on campus. So, are your lads all as you were in terms of normality, in terms of where they're living and stuff like that? Yeah, we have we have a sort of a split that's I'm going to say roughly 50-50 in the squad, with fifty guys, fifty uh, percent of guys who live on campus and and guys from Dublin who are typically living at home uh, still, you know, or around Dublin. Um, so that's a bit the same. I, I suppose the certainly the experience that they get on campus isn't the same in terms of there's very little face to face teaching unless a couple of the science lads have labs or whatever. But um, so the, and there's I think the typically about fifty percent or sixty percent occupancy in the residence, so it's it would be much less busy for them or around the campus anyway. So they're not getting the they're not certainly not getting the full experience uh, of it. Um, so it's it's different from that perspective for them as well. But that's that's typically how that breaks down in terms of half on, half off. Um, mm. yeah, I think, listen, it's it's no bad thing. At least they, they have themselves for company, if nothing else, you know. Yeah. The, the student bar must be a strange place at the moment. <laughs> the student bar is non-existent at the moment. The yeah, it's, it, it must be. The, the, the college itself must be just uh, an eerie place to, to kind of be there there today. Yeah, I mean, if you walk down the campus today, uh, actually, when the sun is out, there's a couple of people do it. I think actually UCD over the last 12 months has turned into a much more of a public park type of a situation mm. in terms of a lot of the community using it rather than students using it. So that's the type of different vibe you get off of when you go into the campus at the moment. Um, but not a, lot of, not a lot of students, not a lot of reason to be in there, I suppose. So, um, yeah, very, very, very different. But 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 football wise, Andy, I mean things are things are going okay. You had a what coming off the back of a six nil win isn't a isn't a bad sort of a, it doesn't make for a bad weekend. Although I mean it wasn't an unusual one. I think the Jimmy Corker and sending off has attracted a fair bit of uh, online attention yeah. over the weekend. I mean, <laughs> listen, you know they go against you sometimes. They go for you sometimes. This one does look like it went for you. Listen, one hundred percent. Honestly, at the time. Uh, when it happened, we we called for um, uh, you know, keeper handling the ball outside the box because it certainly looked like that. And I think what you don't see on the camera is the the linesman who's off to our right, who was fairly definite about the fact that it was outside the box as well. 
was straight on it. Now, whether listen, whether it was a red card or not, from that point of view, I'm, I'm not sure. That's that's for the ref or whatever. But it's one of those things that it happens. We certainly got a benefit out of it. They obviously had um, a young lad coming on then, the unfortunate piece of giving away two penalties and getting sent off as well. So. From you know, from a game panning out from our point of view, if you're going looking to win a game, it could probably couldn't have gone any better if their keeper gets sent off after 30 seconds. But uh, yeah, Wexford will feel they didn't have a lot of luck in that. But sometimes that goes for you. We probably feel like once or twice we didn't have a great deal of luck in games as well already this year. So it it listen and it leave itself out no no doubt before the end of the year. It does seem I, like we, 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 sorry, John, you go ahead there. <clears throat> So, I suppose the striking thing is Colin Whelan's goals as well and that he's shot to the top of the goal scoring charts and um, tell us about him Yeah I'm doing a bit of talking about Collie over the last while um, listen he came in obviously we got, he came in last year from the underage section in Warford we got him and he scored goals last year in his first season so um, I think from the, the from early on when we were seeing him uh, his the attribute he has around his coolness and his finishing and, and his finishing ability is probably second to none, to be honest. And as good as I've seen in the league, um, both playing and coaching, to be honest, um, in terms of uh, his ability around that. I think the exciting part for for us, for Collie, for for the league as such is that I think he has a fair bit of headroom in, in, uh, in terms of where he can improve other aspects of his game as well. And I think he knows that and he'll work on it. He's a really sort of really quiet fella you know almost laid back to the point of almost being horizontal type of thing mm. and uh, but I, I said to somebody there a while ago as well that even if if, if Collie never scored a goal his, his general work rate in games and his, his contribution to the team would, would you'd pick him on that alone if he never scored it if he never scored a goal so but the fact that he does score goals makes him a, a really exciting prospect if you know what I mean so um, we're just waiting to see what he'll turn into I think he can be anything there I, I'd like to to definitely get to your career at some stage, including um, your managerial career. But do you see a little bit of him in you then? No, he's much better player than me. <laughs> he's a much better player than me. So um, uh, no, 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 nothing like that. Um, like, I think actually, we're probably very different as players, to be quite honest. Um, but uh, we wouldn't something like, something I would try not to do with them is is. Uh, to try and have any comparison to yourself as a coach or a manager or a player or whatever else like that. So, um, no, we, we leave him alone and just let him be Collie Whelan. Indeed. Listen, we, we've spoken to various UCD managers, you know, over the years, and I certainly have. And it's often the same discussion, you know, it's about the UCD job and what it entails. And it always seems to be cyclical, you know, that you have, say, for example, you know, Collie O'Neill had that group, which was, you know, uh, Scales, Ferruja, Gary O'Neill, um, you know, there's a couple of other sloggers, you know, there's a couple of yeah. others I could, I could mention. Yeah. And they go through that cycle. Like they come through together. They generally hit a peak and then yeah. generally they get to that stage where, well, they're finished and clubs come sniffing around them. Is yeah. that something that you're, because it does seem like you've got a good group there and they're at that early-ish stage of that cycle. You've got a couple of lads in and, you know, from Sligo and various places. And is that something that you always have to accept in the job that this is it? Like I have them but I have them for a period of time and we just have to maximise the time that we have. Yeah, I think, listen, that's exactly it. I mean, I'm sure Collie before me was under no illusions in terms of the cycle of that as well. He, pro he, he probably picked the group up at the start of it and brought it through to, to the finish of it. And then you, you find if the, if the timing goes wrong and it can get quite difficult 
uh, you know, if you find yourself in the Premier Division at that point where you're losing all yeah. your players, it will be difficult. Um, and I think that's probably a dead right down in terms of that's probably where we are at the moment at the start of a cycle where we are actually, the, the squad has strengthened this year on last year. The lads who are with us last year are shown that they've, you know, that improvement is, is there in them from playing games in the division at, at this level. So everything starts to move in a certain direction. And like you say, there will be a point at which over the next two, three years where we get five or six picked off us and we start again. You know, uh, and that is that is the cycle. The club are comfortable with that. I suppose I, I think they're, they're comfortable with the fact that it doesn't make um, the coaching staff or the management staff, or whatever, any better or worse coaches or managers than they are at the time. That is just the cycle of things, and, and, and that's mm. how we roll with it. The um, I, I, there's loads of interesting players, so I'm not going to go through them all. But there's there's some that aren't the typical profile. I, I see you've got Sean Brennan in this year, um, who. I would have like obviously been aware. A lot of people, maybe this would be aware, would have been one of the top talents in the country in his in his mid-teens. You know, there was a real hype around uh, Sean, and just things haven't. You know, it's a classic story. Things haven't necessarily worked out for him. Um, and you've taken him into UCD. Like, what was the what was the thinking there with Sean? Because obviously he was knocking about with, with Rovers last year. Like, what was the how did the, how did he come to to be at the club? Yeah, Sean. Um, young, young guy, great lad, um, and who has a, his, his head screwed on from one, from one angle in terms of was coming back, was looking at the world, having come back from Southampton, was thinking he needed to up his um, uh, his piece in terms of education and wanted to put that behind him now at this stage. Uh, so we were able to help him, I suppose, in, in terms of look after the football piece with the football team but also then start to uh, get on that um, particular ladder with education again and um, through our access program that we do in uh, UCD as well. So um, so he's starting off that. So um, listen, I wouldn't underestimate the difference he's made to the team in terms of actually his quality. I think it, one of the hardest things for lads to do from England, and you'll notice yourselves from seeing oodles of fellas come back, is is sometimes stop the descent, if you know what I mean. They can feel that piece when they come back from a team in England yeah. and they drop down a level and then they drop down another level and, and all of a sudden you'll, you'll see them playing in the park on a Saturday afternoon type of stuff um, very, very quickly. Um, but Sean is, Sean is such a, you know, a good lad and a deep thinker about the game actually as well as that, you know, he, he, I think he has stopped that and he's on his way back up again because he's been fantastic for us this year, made a massive difference to the midfield has some really great qualities um, and settled right into the squad and with the lads and everything else like that. So it's been, it's been absolutely brilliant. Listen, we saw him playing for overs last year and we thought he was good as well. And that's so when his name was mentioned to us, we were more than eager to get him involved in the squad, but um, he's been a real, he's been a real plus for us so far this year. Um, and and I, I think, listen, I think generally, uh, again, like, because we've seen it an awful lot in years gone by over the league, you want to help those lads because it is so easy to lose uh, to lose themselves in terms of having that massive disappointment in England and then coming back. Um, it's great to see them uh, doing well in the league as well. So it's great to see Sean doing well. You've done well, like, you know, picking up, you know, the, the Sligo lads like Carrigan and so on and, and lads from other clubs. Uh, you know, Donald Higgins and a few others as well. Like, I, I don't know, are you encountering this from talking to young players? And I know there'll be other people involved in that process, of course, and it's education mm -hmm. and... and it's a much broader thing than just a manager and another club approaching players. Yeah, yeah. But do you think like the pandemic and, and, you know, questions that is raised about, you know, 
like the viability of certain clubs or I don't know it seems like it's one of these things that's making people reevaluate a lot of things and you think in a strange way like UCD offering education and football is is actually offering a very good package for for lads at the moment they can see the attraction of that when there's a lot of instability out there in our world and, and the UCD model actually suddenly looks I mean it's always had that attraction to some people but not always obviously to everyone who's seeing the bright lights of a pro contract somewhere else I think yeah. Listen, I I I think so, Dan. I don't know if the pandemic is is the the one cause because I think like it had turned before the pandemic in terms of how fellas were viewing the, the broader structure of what UCD offers. Obviously, you mentioned uh, uh, Jack uh, Keeney and Liam Kerrigan from Sligo. Uh, we've Sam Todd this year in terms of looking at that, and I, I think there's a couple of factors in it in terms of you know other options around the league were becoming less. Uh, le- I suppose less shiny in terms of, you know, the devaluation of wages, et cetera, around the league that was there in general. And people looking at, uh, okay, if I'm not going to make a living out of football or, you know, a a decent living out of football, I need to look after myself in other ways here as well in a slightly longer term fashion. And I think in in fairness of what what we do at UCD is we can combine both those things. The scholarship is an attractive enough proposition from um, in, in terms of the cost that it will cover. Uh, and if you're getting, you know, 100 or 200 quid a week at a club uh, somewhere else, it's not necessarily any better than that. Another type of way, plus yeah. you're also leaving with a degree after a couple of years. So um, I think uh, certainly I think what the, the pandemic hasn't hurt it. I don't think it was the cause of it, but I think we're finding more. Sam Todd is a good example of this. Uh, and there's one or two other players have contacted us over the last year or so as well in terms of that wouldn't be a traditional school leaver, 17-year-old, 18-year-old, where they're thinking, you know, listen, I'm thinking longer term now. I'm thinking in my thirties. It might be time to go and do a degree. Um, and I can, if I can combine that with playing football in the league, which they want to do anyway, um, it's a sort of a win-win for for everybody. So, um, I think you'll you'll find a couple more instances of people at the club that aren't, like I say, that traditional recruit that we would have had over the years. We'll still have those students that are coming through the leaving cert route, etc. But we'll have one or two different ones as well. I think. So I'm looking back now in the history books, Andy. So it was 9th of January, 1994, apparently, where you made your UCD debut uh, against St. James's Gate. Of course, no longer in the league. Um, But that was into a UCD squad. How different is the UCD team and environment you're working in now compared to what you came into then? Um, I suppose... The similarities are the, the fact that, like, listen, the broad, in broad strokes, everybody's between the ages of 17 and 21, if you know what I mean. It's still exactly the same in, in terms of the, the, the squad we have now. In terms of the setup, how we would go about preparation, um, coaching, all of those type of elements, it's changed, you know, almost completely um, uh, from that end of things. I think, in fairness to our guys, they probably look after themselves a lot better than the group of lads that we had at UCD at the who time. Who was your crew then? Who was your crew then? Like, who was your sort of early yeah. group? Remind me here. So the lads I would have, the lads I would have come into UCD were, were guys like Tony McDonald and yeah. Aidan Lynch. The lads who were there a year or two already would have been Jake Caldwell, Terry Palmer, uh, Robbie Griffin, uh, those type of guys. So they were all the guys who I'm, I'm leaving out there now as well, but they're all the guys who were there typically at that time. Kieran Cavanagh, those type of guys. Um, yeah. Uh, and again, like listen, when you put them like that, a group of young guys like that, it's relatively tight. It's a brilliant place to play football. That hasn't changed. It's fun. It's a fantastic place. You know, I always joke with the lads in terms of 
wait until you wait until you go into your next dressing room after this because like you'll be sitting down with a fella who's just about to get divorced for the second time and you know all this kind of stuff and he said none of that exists at UCD you know that type of way it's yeah it's a completely different but that that stuff is still the same um but the I suppose the 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 professionalism aspect of it has completely changed over those years in terms of, even in terms of we look at how the lads themselves, not with any prompting from us to a great degree, look after themselves. Um, you know, physically, all of those kind of things that has completely changed in the league. So that's a, so that's a sea change, but in a nice way, there's still a lot of the elements of the club that were there when, when I was there as well, uh, in terms of their ethos, the principles, they, they go after and that's all still there so that's nice as well I mean when you come into the place that would have been of course the doc wouldn't it Tony O'Neill would have been the 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 main man I know he passed away I think it was in 1999 and a lot of people in Irish football like have a real what could have been aspect about that because he was such a respected figure I mean it must have been great to to meet him and and sort of encounter him because he was like the UCD being in the senior football was his baby in some respects yeah listen he like for all of us who were signed to UCD at that time, obviously you know you 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 owe a, a debt of service to the to the doc in terms of if, if he was the one that brought you through. Um, and he was listen, he, he was a great guy. I, I think I think you hit the nail on the head, and it's I think in was reading Champagne Football there not too long yes. ago, and I think it comes through that you know one of the truly trusted and respected figures in in Irish football in terms of an absolutely honest broker, um, and I think. You won't find too many people um, around UCD uh, who went through the place or around Irish football that would would have a negative word to say. I haven't met them anyway in terms of would have a negative word to say about the doc. So a really interesting character. Um, I remember we used to I used I I used to uh, get fed up with him a bit because he was he was also a UEFA observer at games, you know, and he would come back in midweek to training with a. He always came back for some reason. I think this must be the medical doctor in him that. He would come back with a new stretch that he'd saw face from, you know, rest or something like that. Would you not bring back a new passing drill or a possession stuff or anything like that? No, a new stretch every week, you put your leg behind your ear or something. But isn't it a great guy who's, who's like who you can still feel around the club today, to be quite honest, you know. Um the the, the guys who are running the club are, are, are similar to as they were now, and the doc left a massive impact. And on, on Irish football as well, obviously when you when you read the books, but definitely on UCD. Yeah, it's really interesting. Yeah, so like you you mean you, you then ended up seeing all different sides of the league, I suppose, the, you know, the various clubs you played for. You know, you sort of bit of Newry and up north, and then Monaghan, Athlone. Mm-hmm. Where else we got Waterford, Drogheda, Longford, Shamrock Rovers, and Bray. Yeah. It's, it's a good list. Like you know, yeah, it's, yeah. it's a sort of a substantial list. Um, and like. The, 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 the league environment generally in those days, because I mean, it was it was very part time when you started, I suppose. And then it, I suppose the level you, the clubs you played at were generally part time, I guess. But yeah. I mean, again, I guess where I'm coming at with this question, like you, you mentioned, like, you know, you leave UCD and you go into an older dressing room with older men. It does seem to be a slightly younger league now in many yeah. respects. But back then, was it a sort of a, you know, you, you really learned different life skills from some of the characters you met at your various clubs. Yeah, I mean, I, I remember, um, I suppose, when I would have left UCD, I went to Newry, and the other guy who was at Newry was Johnny McDonald. And I, I think I think if I'm getting my ages correct, like I was, say, 21, and Johnny was 32, probably, um, and he had a couple of young kids and whatever. So that, and an absolutely fantastic guy from the point of view of, 
just like I wouldn't have encountered anybody with that experience uh, at UCD, you know, in terms of in a dressing room, whatever else like that. Yeah. I learned so much from uh, Johnny in that year and a half or two years, whatever it was, we were up in Uri, just even traveling up and down in the car. About, you know, Did he charge you for the lift? <laughs> no, he didn't. No. I would, what you call it? I, I probably owe him about a grand in petrol money, I'd say. <laughs> I've never given it back to him, but there's, there's, there's so much that uh, you would have taken on board from Johnny. Do this, don't do this. You know, all of those type of things that, that you build on for the rest of your career. So you come across some brilliant characters as you're working through really good guys like that as well. And I suppose you're lucky that you come across good characters like that straight away when, when, I, when I left. Anyway, in terms of Nuri was a good experience. Um, but all of those other experiences as you go through different dressing rooms, different managers, different coaches, all of those pieces, uh, I wouldn't change them because like there's there's a there's a great diversity to them as well. You know the type of way. Um, mm. Tell us about say, those managers, Andy. Actually, in a bit of a memory lane trip, I suppose. So there's a lot of managers there, Johnny. I mean, if we, could pick, if we could pick, is there is there one or two that had a real impact on you though, in terms of their like their style? In terms of the style, and in terms of, um, I suppose, the one I would pick out first of all uh, would be Paul Doolan at Drogheda. I mean, I have to say, really, really enjoyed playing for Paul. He probably laughed. It's not at the start necessarily, uh, because he's when, when he came in, it was, it was a, you know, a real case of turning the kitchen table over type of stuff at Drogheda, and everything was changed, and uh, it was a tough couple of months for everybody, I'd say. But once we were all on the same page and, and going in the same direction, um, I say I absolutely loved playing um, a football at Drogheda with Paul uh, when he was there. Where Harry, in fairness, before him was a, was a good guy as well, but in, in particular to Paul, I found it really simple to play football for him. Very, very clear in his, his direction, how he wanted the, the team to play, etc. We were all, we were probably as fit as we've ever been uh, playing football, I'm sure the team. Uh, and it was just a pity for me. That was the, that was the real turning point in football where there was a full-time, part-time thing coming, if you know what I mean. Yes. Mm. Getting, I think, to 28, 29, and it was a real case of, like, can't really stop the career piece now and uh, just go full-time football. I'll miss out on a couple of key years in, in, in what I was doing and work and stuff like that. So um, I had to make the decision at that point to say, listen, I'm going I'm to stay part-time, and they were going fully full-time. And uh, it, was, it was just a pity. If, if it was 22 at the time, I'd have done it in a heartbeat. Um, but uh, that was one of the key. So football for me, probably the one I enjoyed me football the most. Met, listen, some other unbelievable characters in there. Billy Baxter at Monaghan and stuff like that. Ah, oh, Billy. Oh, yeah. Come on, we need, it. we need some kind of Billy Baxter yeah. story here. Come yeah, on. I mean, you used to remember, we, you turn up to Gertie Keegan and it'd be like 20 minutes before the game. Everyone, the Monaghan lads would be warming up and Billy be inside in the pub having a fag. And you're just like, how are you getting <laughs> on, Billy? Listen, we, I... It was listen. There's, there's probably so many of them if I, if I if I had time to think of them all. But I mean, I just remember going and like we would be traveling up in cars from the Swiss cottage uh, up to Monaghan there, and uh, in, in from Santry up to Monaghan. And I remember one particular day there was 13 players in two hatchbacks, if you know what I mean. So like you think of two Opel courses, and there was 13 players because uh, there was all types of money problems about petrol money, whatever else. But anyway, fellas weren't and and. Billy was still smoking Gitan in the front of the car with all the lads going. It was like a chimney going up to, uh, to Monaghan in a little tight space. Like we nearly getting sick in the back and stuff like that, but not, not a bother to Billy. But um, it was funny when I, when I got there, there was a couple of um, there was a couple of great guys at that Monaghan team as well. Fellas like John Cody, uh, John Hannon was there. There's some really great fellas, and um, I think there was a couple of lads coming towards the end of their career, so we were there and. 
there was a couple of new lads and 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 Billy used to not like the I think he used to leave the team he'd stop at some place to get beans and toast or something like that and he'd leave the team out on the table written down and I think that was so fellas could get used to the fact that they weren't in the team before we got into the dressing room and there would be a bit of a rumpus in the team and also, but, um, it's, it's an absolutely absolutely great guy uh, like amazingly knowledgeable about football as well like incredible guy to talk to uh, about football as well so just, just a funny fella. And the one I, the one I always remember him saying to us as well when we went training one day, we were never sure if the bills were paid for where we were ever we were training. You know, we used to train out in the, uh, what's the place on across the Valley there, the, the school, Stewart's Hospital, is it? Across the way from from Liffey Valley. And then he'd say, if anybody asks, tell them we're on a false course. He'd say, so <laughs> in case anybody asks, we're amazing guy. How was Mick O'Neill like? Michael O'Neill. Yeah. Yeah, listen, I, I suppose that was the start of me coaching um, when I finished playing with Bray. Uh, Michael was a, was a you know, really good guy to work with, sort of very open in terms of, you know, in terms of the way he worked, the, the informa- access to information or the way he taught or anything like that. Um, I really enjoyed working with him. Um, he was a really, really good guy. Uh, no surprise, to be honest, after working with him where he's ended up if you know what I mean? Mm. Always, always. I think he always had that ambition, but he, he always, he always had the tools to get there as well. In terms of very, uh, very, very knowledgeable about his football. Exceptional with fellas, I think. You know, exceptional with young men in terms of how we got them to play for him and stuff like that. Mm. They're always made up of a multitude of personalities and uh, you know types. He seemed to have a way of talking to all of them. You know the type of way he could get them all yeah. on so in one time and. So there was a good togetherness all the time about the group. And then he was he was pragmatic about the players he had as well and what they could do when, in terms of the style of play and all of that kind of thing as well. So, um, yeah, really, listen, a really good guy. Uh, and no no surprise that he's he's been really successful. Just coming so, to I mean, the end now, could you, sorry, Dan, could you, do, do you have regrets that you didn't play more full-time when you, when obviously it was kind of too late for you at that stage, your late 20s? Or could you have been a different player? I'd have liked to play full-time for sure. Um, but the timing was just off, so I, I, I don't harbour huge regrets about it because I still continue to play. Um, like the, the difference between sometimes the difference between full time and part time in, in the League of Ireland is one session a week somewhere. You know the type of way in terms mm. of um, even our lads at the moment we're like we're part time club, but we're still in five times a week. Um, you know, so there's no massive there's no massive difference to to what we to what we do really with the full time other than the fact that you know you can't go home and sleep and rest up and all, all the kind of things is you're, you're going to work but I don't I don't have a huge regret over that Johnny to be honest uh, that it didn't part time would have been nice but I, f- I felt like you know I probably got enough out of it uh, without that you know Just finally Andy I mean it's a classic question but what, what is the ambition for this season with this group Dan I mean can can you win that division? Oh, uh, I don't know. Like, I, I honestly think it would be quite hard. Again, this goes into the part-time, full-time thing. There's a couple of full-time teams in the league. Yeah. Expect as over the 27 games that that will that will tell a bit. I think I still think we're forming a bit as a as a squad and as a team. Uh, we're, we're certainly better than we were last year. Um, and I think we, we listen. We'll be competitive with everybody in the league. Uh, but I think we probably have a piece to go about consistency consistency of our performance a little bit. Uh, still to go, but um, I, I think you know. Listen, we'll be we're a game for anybody, and um, we'll see where that takes us. But I, 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 I wouldn't be putting me 
I wouldn't be putting my house on it or anything at this stage. Okay, well, listen, Andy, we really, really appreciate your time today. Uh, I was going to say before he goes, yes or no, do your old team Shamrock Rovers have a challenger this season? No. There you go. That's an answer. That's a little bit. That's a little bit. Pats will be much better. I think Stephen's done an amazing job in terms of what he's doing with Pats to get them there challenging. But I think Rovers will probably have too, a little bit too much. Okay. Listen, Andy, really appreciate your time and it's the best of luck for the rest of the season. I think you have your dog, a dog in the background keeping you busy as well there too. So yeah. it's all good. Yeah, thanks Andy Myler for uh, bringing us uh, some memories. Uh, it's, it's, it's fascinating looking at Wikipedia, all the clubs he played for consistently banging in around 50% goals per game ratio. Um, and uh, I, I do remember him being a fox in the box. Maybe the type of player that maybe doesn't exist now, but uh, he's building a good UCD team, Dan. Um, and yeah, they're bang up there in the first division. Obviously, it's going to be a fascinating campaign, but uh, what are you looking forward to the weekend? Yeah, and they are a good side. As I mentioned, the point about their cycles is very significant. But I, I love the story about Billy Baxter. Um, Billy Baxter sort of tales. But there is, listen, I want the League of Ireland to become as professional as it can be. Now, unfortunately, at the same time, at the same like, time. Like, well, yeah, you want it to become as professional as it can be. Um, and, you know, I'd love it, I'd, you know, whether how re- realistic that is, you know, and I mean, there's, like, you see teams in the Premier Division with like three subs in the bench and you're thinking, you know, you have an illusion of progress sometimes and then, you know, you have clubs that, that let it all back. But it, listen, I think it's a reflection of society as well. I mean, you know, sort of younger lads now probably don't like, probably don't drink as much really. They do more gym and, you know, social media and looking sort That's of used. good and stuff. You know, I mm. know, fair play to them, you know. Um, mm. So like, I think sometimes you can yearn for a time that will probably never, never come back. Um, but there is like dream last night Dan it was, it was really grim I was like for some reason I was going back I was on the bus to national school but I was not being stopped off at national school and all the national school lads were getting off and they were kind of laughing at me as if I'd gotten old but then I was walking past the school anyway and the ball was kicked over the wall and I gave it this ping back on the left foot back to them to remind them that I could still play I think my return to Astro is definitely on my mind I'm really really afraid after like over a year of not playing any AstroTurf how bad I'm going to be Seriously, yeah, really afraid. I, I have a couple of WhatsApp groups that have started lighting up. You're after reminding me there. I've had some really vivid dreams in the last in the mm. last week. Very vivid football related dreams. And the strangest one of all was for some reason, for some reason, I was in the Finn Harps squad and I was traveling up to a game. And Ollie Horgan had decided to play me on my own up front for Finn Harps. <laughs> and I was. I was on the car and the way up for some reason this is really bizarre I was being driven up to the to the game by for some reason by another another League of Ireland player (laughs) right and I made the mistake (laughs) this is like this is like this is therapy stuff here I made the mistake of like eating a biscuit and then the minute I had the biscuit I was like oh crap no I can't do that because I'm playing I mean I'm slowing up as it is but I just remember thinking Ollie Horgan has made a terrible mistake here like a terrible terrible mistake that like I mean, notwithstanding the fact that I'm not a professional or semi-professional footballer, when I do play, I'm also quite slow. So, like, being on my own up front just had the potential to be, like, I, I was thinking this is this is an awful, awful mistake. But obviously, you can't. Now, I think the reason why this might have been in my head was, uh, and I, we have no problem recommending other podcasts, apart from the ones that, are, that we don't like. 
But there's, there's a brilliant, uh, we like all of them, by the way. I'm only don't dislike but any podcast. They, yeah, we, we, you don't know. We don't, actually. We, we do like them all. But there's a brilliant um, Keith Cowan and Mark Forker, two ex-Finn Harps players. I meant to send this to you, actually, uh, personally. They have, like, this very good uh, podcast. I can't think of the name of it now. Something to do with It's a silverware. name, and I can't remember it either, yeah. Oh, it's like a, something about silverware. But anyway, there's... Uh, they have absolutely amazing stories about Ollie Horgan. Allergic um, to silverware. Allergic to silverware. That's it. And I was listening to one of them walking around the park last week, roaring, laughing, <laughs> because Keith Cowan has this story about how he was in pre-season and uh, he was uh, he was on a, a holiday of some description that he needed to go to at work. And Harps were playing a pre-season friendly that night up in Glengad, up in like you know the depths of Donegal. And Ollie Horgan clearly felt that Keith needed a bit of a shove along, you know, to, 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 to play in this game as he was coming into the country. So Ollie Horgan picked him up from Dublin Airport at four o'clock in the afternoon and belted up the road to, to like, you know, to Donegal, the Keith Cowan in the car to play this game that he was like woefully unprepared for. And I think <laughs> Cowan got in the car and said, Oh, there's a few scones in the back there if you want them by, you know. And uh, <laughs> this weird side of like Ollie Horgan, you know, with a, picking up a couple of scones, you know, and taking Keith Cowan up in his car to Glen Gad to play a pre-season friendly, you know, and he just tells that he could, uh, you know, he get out of the car and like barely did a warm-up and was brought on after half an hour. But anyway, listen I to I know the there are a load of people listening in right now who have definitely had these strange football dreams, many of which basically involved you playing for your team or playing for your country or playing for something at a high level and the pain of waking up and just saying, it's happened again. I've had this dream where I was, I realised my oh, dream. I was yeah. playing well as well. I was right back in 38 and can't really move. I was playing well, defying <laughs> all logic or whatever. I had a biscuit before the game in a, in a, in a taxi <laughs> up with Billy Bagster having a fag and it just didn't work out. Paul Doolan was the manager. <laughs> I've, had, I've just had some really, I've had some really bizarre ones as well. That's a, I had one the other night as well where I was at a, I was at a Shamrock Rovers game and it was like, but I think journalists have these dreams a lot. You have this, don't know why like, people have this recurring dream that they're late for their leaving cert or something. Yeah. Like their, their exams yeah. coming, you're late. Sign of stress. I, I have it all, I have the, I, yeah, well, I think there could be something in that because I have that all mm. the time where I'm like going to a game or like I'm watching a game on TV and remember, oh no, I'm meant to be at that game reporting. So I was at the Shamrock Rovers game in my dream the other day and I was talking to, I think, Brad's there afterwards. And then I just fell asleep during the interview <laughs> while I was, and I was just mortified, embarrassed Sorry about that he was answering Andrew. the question. And I was like, I was gone. And it's like, it's, yeah. it's, I don't know. I think it's maybe pandemic or dreams are a whole new level. You fall asleep during uh, Shamrock Rovers, Pats, one of the, the, the big game of the weekend, which is Saturday, six o'clock, Bowes Harp, six o'clock, Waterford Drada, six o'clock. And on Friday, Derry Longford, uh, and the Dogs Liger Rovers, they're at different times on Friday. Uh, we get the first division fixtures up in GPS. Yeah. Let's move on from dreams to reality. Um, yeah, City no, against well, Wexford, bottom of the table clash, in effect, in the first division. I love that, that, that we're so, I, I love that we're so prepared for this show. It's almost a sense of surprise as we go through Jeez, this we have to, Jesus, the shows are playing at loan on Friday. <laughs> Uh, loan. That's a top of the table class. Despite the fact that loan were beaten by Cavan Teeley, which is a bizarre result. UCD against High Flying Treaty. What a bonkers. Uh, what an absolutely insane injury time in Tolka. Three goals and a, a red card, I think. Crazy stuff. Shells went from 1 0 down to 2 1 up in injury time. Didn't win the game. Galway United against Bray is, is going to be a big game. Bray haven't won a game yet. Uh, and Galway finally won a game on the pitch. 
uh, by being well done, media officer. Well done, Mr. Media Officer. Well done. Yeah, yeah it's nice to have a. Uh, it's nice to have sort of mad games involving a team from Limerick. Uh, you know, in the first division, but like you know, really positive uh, drama. If you know what I mean. Uh, including a ton of that. Yeah, um, exactly. But I, I was actually um, but, met Gary Spain, one of the absolute gents of the League of Ireland scene. Um, obviously, also known as being a brother of Carl Spain, the comedian. But um, Carl's yeah. better known brother, Gary, was typically enough was at the Rovers Watford game. So I was chatting to him, big smile on his face, talking about treaty. And it's completely ruled out the fact that they could be in the playoff positions this year, which I think is, a, is, is very, very likely. Tommy Barrett's done an unbelievable job there, but they go to UCD, obviously, Andy Myers team Friday. And in fairness, Dan, Oh, absolutely dying for crowds back. I was on to even Shane Sutton about this. He's like, Bows are being killed by the lack of crowds. That's He's, he's blaming Bows' downfall with the lack of crowds. I'm but we had Daniel Lafferty talking about Derry last week, didn't he? Like, everyone like yeah. you know, everyone is, is is sort of... Imagine the Bows and the Brandy well at the moment with, with Higgins back there. I mean, like, just in the first division itself, like, the, the, we, we, we would genuinely bring a big crowd to games in Galway at the moment. So other clubs doing really well. But that'll just be your media team. Is there that's just your media team. There's around 20 of them, isn't there? Yeah. 400 um, brilliant, media. Brilliant, it's like, it's like the, I mean, honestly, media team, if you like the, North, like the North Korean sort of uh, media front, like, you know, you'd love yeah. to have that, you'd love to have that type of complicit attendance at a, at a League of Ireland ground, wouldn't you? Just like, you know, I, I, laughing, I, I, at, I, laughing at your jokes and, and sort of applauding you Applauding you as you bring the team sheets along the sideline to the, the yeah. Well, of course, the first the first game I showed up uh, for this season, um, I was I turned up after a few beers and uh, forgot to do the team sheets, which is a rather inauspicious start. But um, the one game I did go to at home since you're channeling I, I was... the spirit of the the League of Ireland, we missed Johnny. You Absolutely, know, the League of Ireland, we Absolutely. missed. Absolutely, you know. You're, you're and I tell you, as well, if you time. turn up at Galway on a on an evening, like Galway, when you get to Galway on a Friday evening, I defy anyone who says there isn't a bit of like a bit of uh, an impishness in your spirit that just says I want to have a bit of crack here, but it's just not Galway at the moment. So you have to, you know, go along to the game. There's no one there. Come back to Galway City. There's no one there. Uh, but I think we're nearing the end. But anyway, yeah, there's oh, and, we are near, and and the end of the show as well. But yeah, like Pat Rovers is. No, like, I'm looking forward. To, I'm going along to that game on Saturday. Actually, weirdly enough, this. By a quirk this season, I haven't been at a Pats game in the flesh. It's just the way of the games that I've gone to. I haven't seen Pats. So I'm looking forward to uh, enjoying that game and we'll, we'll have plenty to reflect on next week. Yeah, uh, thanks as ever to futureticketing.ie. Check out uh, the website and also obviously check out our social channels and don't be afraid to give us a review on uh, one of the um, podcast platforms. And we'll be back next week. Very, very thankful to Andy Myler and Kevin McHugh for coming on. And as ever, we'll know a bit more about the League of Ireland next week, or at least we will let on that we do.